You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Would you please stand with me? And would you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. And I'd like you to read with me whatever version you have. I'm going to be reading from NIV. Um, and it's, I'm going to, we're going to be reading Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Uh, let's say it together. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Please be seated. As Georgiana said last week, if you were here, you heard the sermon on Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And our brother Neil shared about the law of God, about the importance of knowing and living the law of God. And as we continue now in the sermon on the mount, that was the foundation of all that Jesus is going to say now. And as we hear, Jesus himself is going to help us to understand the meaning of Scripture in today's message, we're going to look at just one of the commands of the law of God, and Jesus is going to help us to see what its real purpose is, what its real meaning is. We read in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, that Jesus quoted Scripture. He said, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. But now Jesus is going to interpret that for us. Um, can I have the slides on, please? There we go. So we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is helping us to see the meaning of what it is to murder somebody. And we're going to see that Jesus quotes scripture. And so he does this throughout Matthew chapter 5. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, there are six times where Jesus quotes scripture. Today we're just going to look at the first one and next week we'll look at the next one. But this one is on um, do not murder. He quotes that scripture. And then he's going to interpret it. And actually, we're going to see he redefines murder for the people who are listening. And then he probes deeper behind the law of God so that we can understand what was on God's mind. And lastly, he reveals the true intent of what it means for us to obey and to live out this scripture, to do what God's word says. And so we first see that as Jesus quotes scripture, he simply affirms what God's word says. Murder is against God's law. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees had added more to this. They combined it with another scripture. 
And in Matthew chapter 21, we see that the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders and the religious leaders had combined murder with another scripture which says, anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now that is scripture too, and we see it here. We see it here in Numbers chapter 35 verse 30, and it says, anyone who kills a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of Witnesses, multiple witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. And so what the Pharisees had done in combining these two things is they had said, of course, the law says you shall not murder, you shall not kill somebody. And if you do kill somebody, you're going to go to court. And in that court, they're going to find out the witnesses to see if you are guilty of the death penalty. But that's it. They had reduced murder simply to an act of killing. They had no mention of all of God in their law. They had no mention of all of the judgment of God and why murder was wrong. They didn't go back to Genesis. They didn't look at what it says in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 where the intention of murder is addressed there and what it means when you kill somebody. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And so murder is killing an image of God. Murder is killing a creation of God. And God wants us to know that there's much more than just the act of of murder. We need to understand its cause. We need to understand its purpose. Just obeying the law is not enough. And we're going to see that as we continue in the following sermons. Just obeying the law is not enough. There's more behind the law that God wants us to know. There's more behind what God wants us to see. And so we see that there was a case where Jesus was talking to a rich young ruler. And we see that this rich young ruler is an example of somebody who just obeyed the law. Jesus said to him, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then this young man said, all these I have kept. And then Jesus went on to talk to him about needing to walk and follow and live and give up those things that he had to go after him. There was more to it. There's more to it than just obeying the law. There's a part of relationship that we're going to see that is absolutely necessary between us and people so that Jesus wants to know, you know what, there's something more to it. There is anger. There is anger that actually is the cause of the reasons why we end up murdering people. So if we go to verse 22, we see that Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Recha, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is going much deeper than just the act of murder. He's talking about anger and how anger is the source of the things that bring about a spirit of murder. 
Maybe you've heard people say, I don't get angry, I get even. But that isn't really true. They are angry. And the way that they might get even is an expression of murder of the soul. They may not kill the body, but you may attack to kill somebody's soul, somebody's reputation. Elizabeth, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said this, anger is one letter short of danger. Anger is one letter short of danger. So when we get angry, we're in danger. We have to be careful. And Jesus is telling us that anger is the source that's going to lead to sin, that's going to lead to killing somebody's soul. It might even lead to killing somebody's body. You may think, well, is all anger wrong? Well, the answer would be, of course, no. Not all anger is wrong. Why would we say that? Well, because God gets angry. God gets angry. And so this kind of creates a little bit of a dilemma for us, but we'll see that that dilemma is very solvable in just a minute. But in Numbers chapter 32, verse 13, and this is only one of many verses in the Old Testament, it says, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. So God gets angry. And Jesus gets angry. We see an example of this when he's talking to the teachers of the law, the same types of people he's talking to in Matthew chapter 5. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, it doesn't say, oh, Jesus was angry when he said this, but I think it's very easy to understand that Jesus wasn't feeling really happy when he said this. And that in all likelihood, indeed, there was anger in his soul towards these hypocrites. And then what does he say? He says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus got angry. So then Jesus is also God. And so is Jesus and God breaking this command that says that we ought not to be angry, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment? The answer is no, of course. And why is that? It is because this is the judgment. Jesus is living out the command. He's fulfilling the command. He's not breaking it. He cares about these people. This is their final judgment. They have totally rejected him. And just a few verses later after we read about Jesus condemning the law, the Pharisees, he says this as he looks across to the city of Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So they had totally rejected the Lord. And now what we had seen before in Matthew 23, verse 30, 29 through 33, was the judgment that comes upon those who completely reject God. And they experience then what the Bible calls the wrath of God. The just wrath of God. But Jesus wants better for you 
and for me, of course. He wants us to understand that there's more to it than just the act of murder. He wants to turn that which is negative and make it positive. But before he can make it positive, he has to help redefine for these people who had only defined murder as killing a body to understand that murder is also anger that kills a soul. He's going to redefine murder because he wants to keep us from hurting the souls of other people. He wants us to understand that we need to have life. See, if you kill somebody, you, obviously you kill a life. But life is more than just being alive. Life is having meaning. Life is having relationships. Life is living with people. Life is living in community. Life is living in love with God and with people. And so this is why Jesus says in verses 22... But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rika, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. And so as we point fingers at people, as we say cruel things to people, or even as we think these things to people, Jesus says, we're in danger And he says that according to the law, indeed, you are subject to judgment. You will have to stand before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was composed of 72 elders, and they were the highest court in the land. And they alone could inflict the judgments upon people, including stoning. And Jesus is saying that if you say this word to somebody, you are guilty of that, and you would stand before the local authorities. But then he goes even further and he says, and if you say you fool, which is meant to be a total insult, you'll be in danger of hell. So this is what Jesus is so concerned about. Is that not just that we don't kill people's body, but we don't attack people's soul. That we don't address them as fools. We don't curse them with the word And some scholars think the word racha actually just comes from the sound that's made right before you're about to spit. (laughs) That's pretty bad, right? But that's what's happening when we have thoughts of evil that we don't acknowledge as evil because we think we're justified in our righteous anger. But God would have us to know that there's something so important for us to understand. That, yeah, we do. I mean, nobody here has murdered somebody. At least I hope not. (laughs) But there is something more to it than that. It's not just the letter of the law. And this is what probing is. It's not just the letter of the law. It is the spirit of the law. That matters. And this is what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. There is a standard that is higher, but it's also deeper. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew um, chapter 5, verse 15. Matthew 15, verse 19. Matthew 15, verse 19. And there it says, For out of the heart, these are Jesus' words, For out of the heart... Come evil thoughts. Murder. See, again, Jesus is going deeper than just the act of murder. He's associating it with evil thoughts. 
Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus' definition of adultery. But here again, he mentions it. That out of the heart, it's out of the heart where everything begins, whether it's good or bad. In this case, it's the bad. It's the evil thoughts. It's adultery. It's sexual immorality. It's theft. It's lying. It's slander. Lying and slander hurts the reputations of other people. It brings a certain sorrow into the lives of the community where this anger is lived out and people experience watching that anger. It hurts. In Mark chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus again is speaking. It sounds very similar. He says, for within, for from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And all these things, Jesus is going deeper into the heart of the matter. So the point is Jesus is making is that we ought not to have that type of anger. And instead of having anger, we need to have it be transformed And the transformation that Jesus wants is for us to be reconciled with those for whom we have been angry with. And we've hurt them or they've hurt us. And the hurt hasn't been reconciled. And so this is the revelation and the revealing of Jesus and and how he would want us to live rightly if we have been angry at somebody and we hurt them. Or if somebody has been angry at us and has hurt us. Jesus wants to move away from that that type of anger. To have reconciliation so that then we will have worship. Let me read for you again verses 23 through 26. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar. And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown in prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And so Jesus tells us here in verse 25, if you are angry, if you've had anger, as he's just spoken about, therefore you must do something about it. It's not enough just to say, well, we're not angry anymore because they moved away or because they left or because I left them or we don't see each other. It's not enough to say, well, I no longer have bad thoughts about them. What Jesus says is, I want you to rebuild Build the relationship that you had before the anger separated that friendship, that fellowship that you had in church. So Jesus, I think specifically here, he's not talking about world relationships or politics. I think he's, well, of course we know he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says that he's talking to his disciples on the sermon. And so let's assume here that each one of of these disciples are people that have relationships. And Jesus is telling them, when you have become angry, you must deal with it so that you get back into relationship with the one that the anger broke. 
We are to take steps to remove the cause that has been troubling. And so in very practical manners, God might ask us today about anger. Who has been or who is somebody that is angry at you? Not just that you are angry at. Notice that when Jesus says that in your offering there, you're about to offer your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you. Now we might expect Jesus to say, well, if you have something against brother, you, you know, you got to take responsibility for that. But Jesus doesn't. He says, if you have a brother or a sister who is angry at you, you better go and do something about it. In fact, you better just leave your gift there at the altar. In other words, you ought to leave church. So, so if we were to put it in practical manners, we would say, if anybody here is angry at their brother or sister, if there's somebody here, we're in the middle service as we are right now, um, and you're angry at somebody or someone's angry at you, you should leave church and go and have reconciliation with them before you come back and worship. God wants us to have this reconciliation. He even made, says it's more important than coming to give your gift at the altar. You have to reconcile first. We have to reconcile with those for whom we once were in fellowship with. And you say, well, you know, I never killed them. I never wanted to kill them. Um, but maybe you said, well, in your thoughts, you said, but I wish they were dead. Or maybe you thought, I wish I never knew them as if God had never created them. Or maybe you've thought, you know, I couldn't care less about them as if they are simply nothing. And Jesus says, that is murder. That is what kills the spirit of people. And that's what kills the spirit of fellowship. You know, think about it. Think of somebody whom you've really been angry at. Somebody you've really been angry at. I want you to think about them. Okay? Think about their initials. Keep that in your mind for just a moment. I'm sure we all have somebody. I do. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about this person. And I was thinking about, I've only had a few people in my life, so I've been fortunate, I've only had a few people in my life that I would say really got me really angry. And people that got really angry at me. And it was the same people. And I realized that those are people that I once had really good fellowship with. These were people that I had good friendship with before it happened. We were actually close. And then something happened. I think that's what Jesus is speaking about here. People, what we've been close to before. Psalm 55.12 says it so well. This is the, the writer saying, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. I think that many of us here, if not all of us, when we think of the person that might be angry at us, that has, the fellowship has been lost, the friendship 
isn't the same or is non-existent. We once were close to them. We once laughed with them. We once ate with them. We once partied with them. We had them at our house. We were at their house. We went to movies together. We hung out. Now we couldn't care less. And God says, that's not right. I want you to deal with it. I want you to go and deal with it. Then, then you can come back and we can worship together. Then we can be restored into the most important relationship of all. The relationship of being with God together. There's nothing better for our family than to worship God together. And so Jesus in verse 25 says, I want you to do that. And so I want you to do it quickly. Settle matters quickly. And then he uses the illustration because if you don't, what can happen is you might end up in court. And this might have been some sort of legal matter that was happening. And now you're bringing it into the court. And you're getting even more mad at each other because it's going into something that's legal. And you're trying to find all the reasons to defend yourself. And Jesus says, I want you to turn down. In fact, turn off self-defense. Turn off self-justification. Stop blaming the other person. And again, in relationships, Jesus talking, I believe, about close relationships, about husbands and wives, and fathers and mothers and children, siblings, neighbors, community and church. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled to him. He didn't wait for us to ask for forgiveness. He came and died for us before we would ask. He came and died for his enemies. He left the example of how we are to reconcile. Let's read together Romans 5.10. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Our reconciliation with God was the prime example of what Jesus has just said in the Sermon on the Mount, is that he left his throne in heaven where he was being worshipped by the angels and he was with his heavenly Father and he came to be reconciled with his enemies. Maybe you are never more and I am never more like Jesus than when we reach out to an enemy and show love to them. And we reach out and we say, I want to restore what was lost. Now, each of you have in your bulletin. So does anybody not have a bulletin? The ushers will give you one. And so everybody open up your bulletin and inside there's a blank envelope. Inside there's a blank envelope. Does anybody need, uh, um, anybody, everybody has one. Good job, ushers. Any, oh, need one? Anybody need one? No? Raise your hand. Oh, up here. One person, Nathan, needs one. Anybody else need one? Over here, Daniel. Anybody? Oh, there are some people. So just keep your hands up. Matt will give one to you. Okay, keep your hands up. So everybody, um, get an envelope. Open it. And inside, there's a blank card. Just an index card. And as I shared with you, um, there's somebody in my life who I once enjoyed sweet fellowship with, very close to. 
And I felt convicted as I was writing this sermon that I needed to obey. I needed to do something. And it's not like I haven't. We've tried. We've talked. Uh, we've met. We've even had um, uh, somebody to try to mediate so that we could understand each other. And it, it, it had a little effect, but not enough that we would feel close again to each other. And so I feel like there's still a brokenness in that relationship. And so here's a short letter that is a prototype of what I will send to this friend of mine um, this week, tomorrow, because they don't pick up the mail today. But I want to encourage you as well. And maybe you could just write this down while I'm reading it or take a picture of it with your phone. Dear whoever it is, the initials, the person that is angry at you. Today our sermon was on Matthew 5, 23 and 24. And it convicted me regarding our past. I have loved and appreciated you as my brother or sister. And I am truly sorry for the pain my actions caused you. I'm also pained at how my actions led to a breaking down of our relationship. I would like very much to have that healed. And if possible, restored in a manner that honors our Lord and blesses you. If you have not already, please forgive me for how I hurt you. We were talking about um, me being gone the last three weeks of the, of, for my son's wedding. And the wedding actually served as a reminder of this to me because uh, my son's best man got married earlier this year. Um, that best man, when he got married, had my son standing in his wedding a few months ago. The person that I'm talking about who I have a broken relationship with, I stood with him in his wedding. And he stood with me in mine. And so the loss has been great. And the pain has been real. And I think that in many of our lives here, there are those broken relationships. And in a letter, a simple letter like this, you do no blaming, you do no finger pointing, you just accept your part of the problem and let God bring the healing. I encourage you to do that tomorrow. Write it out today. You can mail it today. It'll get out tomorrow. And it can be as simple as that. A sign of love. A sign of hope. An effort for peace. To move away from anger towards reconciliation. So we would worship God the way he wants us to. Let us pray. Uh, would you stand as we pray and close?